0: I read from Isaiah chapter 40 in the Living Bible as we begin a series called The God Who Cares. My title is Comfort, Yes, Comfort My People. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and tell her that her sad days are gone, her sins are pardoned, and I have punished her in full for all her sins. Listen, I hear the voice of someone shouting. Make a road for the Lord through the wilderness. Make him a straight, smooth road through the desert. Fill the valleys, level the hills, straighten out the crooked paths and smooth off the rough spots in the road. The glory of the Lord will be seen by all mankind together. The Lord has spoken. It shall be. Verse 6, the voice says, shout. What shall I shout, I asked? Shout, that man is like the grass that dies away, and all his beauty fades like dying flowers. The grass withers, the flower fades beneath the breath of God, and so it is with fragile man. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Verse 9, O crier of good news, Shout to Jerusalem from the mountaintops. Shout louder, don't be afraid. Tell the cities of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the Lord God is coming with mighty power. He will rule with awesome strength. See, his reward is with him to each as he has done. Finally, verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms and gently lead the use with young. Amen. Amen. So my introduction, I always like when I'm beginning to read from a passage of scripture, I want to understand the context, I want to understand the book, I want to understand the history, where did it all begin, what, what's the context in which the, the Bible is speaking to us. And so the book of Isaiah, known as one of the major prophets, But due to the length of the text, not that he was the best prophet, but it's the length of the text, the book of Isaiah is full of prophecies. The Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel and Daniel are called major, as well as they are longer than the other prophetic books, about 12 other prophetic books. Isaiah contains prophecies of judgment and warning in the first 35 chapters. That's its emphasis, judgment and warning. Um, then some historical information up to and including verse uh, chapter 39 so there has judgment and warning then there's some historical from chapter 40 where i began to read right through to the end the focus is on prophecies of hope salvation and comfort so the rest of the book of isaiah that's where it majors that's where it focuses prophecies of hope salvation and comfort why These prophetic words were meant for many, many years after Isaiah died. The Jews were exiled to Babylon, but Isaiah was already long dead. Uh, He was alive in the time when Israel was first a whole nation, and then it split ten nations against two, becoming Israel and becoming Judah. So, Isaiah um, was a prophet for about five kings, and certainly by the time he was giving this word, when it would come to pass, he would not be in the earth. He's uh, called the prophet of salvation. His name means the Lord saves. Who is called Isaiah in here today? Somebody online is called Isaiah. (laughs) It means the Lord saves. What a powerful name to carry. And so chapters 40 to 48 of the book of Isaiah also focus on deliverance, rescue, release, freedom, things that we perhaps long for or look for in our own lives. So this verses one and two again, comfort, yes, comfort to my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and tell her that her sad days are gone, her sins are pardoned, and I have punished her in full for all her sins. Verses 1 and 2 begin with an instruction to Isaiah to speak words of comfort and hope to God's people. But again, this is future, when they will be captive in Babylon. One of the commentaries I was looking at says, literally, speak ye to the heart of Jerusalem. Address her inmost feelings, her very spirit and soul. God the Father was saying to Isaiah, speaking to the heart of Jerusalem, speaking to her very spirit and her soul, do we ever feel comforted by the Lord in this way? One of the meanings of this word comfort is properly to sigh, that is breathe strongly, To pity, to console. There's this picture of of the breath of God comforting Jerusalem at the time, bringing comfort, uh, bringing breath to the heart. Uh, It's used very widely for the feelings, the will, the intellect, for the center of anything. So that scripture is very powerful because it's speaking to the heart of a nation and it's speaking to the heart of a man and it's speaking to the soul and the spirit, the intellect, the will. It's speaking to the centre of us. Are we receiving words from him of comfort that speak deep within us? Note that prophecies can seem meaningless to an individual person. If it won't affect me personally, but generations later, what is its point? Yet generations are important. And the words can still bring hope and comfort in our individual lives, can't they? So even if there's a prophetic word that I can pray into, but it's for the next generation or the next one, I ought to still pray and hope and believe for that thing to come to pass. Here the Lord was telling Isaiah to make a declaration of comfort to his people. And again, verse two says, speak. And the meaning in that sense of it rarely is negative. It means speak encouragement tenderly with care from the heart. And he spoke that her hardship is over, that she, Israel, is forgiven, or Judah at the time. What a relief upon a nation, But what a relief we can have in our own individual lives that the lord would say comfort yes comfort my people verse three it says listen i hear the voice of someone shouting make a road for the lord through the wilderness make him a straight smooth road through the desert fill the valleys level the hills straighten out the crooked paths and smooth off the rough spots in the road here is the hope in the prophetic word isaiah is delivering the return from exile in babylon years later but also as quoted in the new testament many times speaks of john the baptist prepare the way for the coming of the savior so that prophetic word was both for Israel at the time, for what was to come, was for what was to come for the world. And also, ultimately prophesying the complete liberation of God's people at the end of time. So there are still people to grab that prophetic word, to prepare the way. He's coming. He's coming. Here we see the deep level of care God has, not just for a nation, Israel, but for all his creation, Israel had messed up. Israel had been in sin. But God made a promise that he would rescue and comfort, release, forgive. Open up a way, a road for the Lord. He's coming to us. Prepare it, straighten out, level off. Verse 5, the glory of the Lord will be seen by all mankind together. The Lord has spoken it shall be. So the prophetic promise of his glory being seen by all, firstly to the exiled liberated ones, secondly to the incredible power and revelation of the Christ and his work on the cross that we were just reflecting on in communion. And thirdly, freeing people from captivity to sin and bridging the gap between God and man, for the second coming or for the return of his fullness. We're going to see his glory. But what did these people in that time hearing these words feel? Perhaps they felt hope because maybe they thought this is going to happen in the next year or the next two years, but it's going to happen in my time. But they died, not seeing these things come to pass. I wonder, did they pass on from generation to generation? Those words of hope that Isaiah brought, were they responsible to pass it on so that by the time exile came, there was still hope among the people who were exiled? We have a responsibility. These verses, as I said, shouted out, you messed up, you're imperfect, but I care this doesn't sit comfortably with us, does it, when we are told that we've messed up, that we've done wrong, that we've gone wrong. Why? Are any of us so perfect that we're walking a right Mm 24-7? I'm not. But yet we do sometimes think, well, I've spent time with God, and I feel so holy, and they're coming to church, and I can look at somebody and judge them because I'm in a great place with God. No, 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 no. All of us should count how many negative thoughts we've had in the last 24 hours. Thoughts against injustices as you you see them, against yourself, so you think now badly of the next person. Thoughts against our brothers and sisters. How many lies have we owned and internally began to plan our retaliation? Oh, is that what she said about me? You wait, you wait, where do our minds go? Are we behaving as the Lord would want us to behave? How many times have you played into the hands of the enemy by ignoring obedience to God's word? They've hurt me, I'm going to get them back. Instead of forgiving, releasing, letting go. And that big one, reactions to a sense when we're offended. We can be offended by a small thing and then it becomes big and ends up being a root of bitterness that drives our lives. We can be deeply offended by a big act of man. But both are still wrong. We have to release forgiveness. We have to obey the Lord for this liberty and freedom. We have to go to him with everything. There comes a time where we need to allow him to search our hearts. To search our hearts. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 i read from the living bible again 139 verses 23 to 24. it says search me O god and know my heart test my thoughts point out anything you find in me that makes you sad and lead me along the path of everlasting life a side note here this applies to the ministers of song And the ministers of the word on the platform, please don't ever think we're special because we're ministering. If we are truly ministering from the heart of God, then that is what will be seen. We are just the same as those of you who come week by week and listen. If you pinch us, we'll feel it. If you speak an evil word against us, it hurts the same. Test everything to know that God is truly speaking and ministering to you. As I was saying these verses shout, you messed up Israel, you're imperfect, but I God care for you and I've made a plan to rescue you because of my love, my covenant, my promises, because I'm not like you, because I'm greater than you and do not think like you do, nor are my ways like your ways. God is just not like us. Oh, Lord, help us to become more and more like you. Be merciful to us, Lord. And so verses six and onwards show the fragility of man and of earth itself. I'd like to get some help from some men in here today. I'd like to ask Royston, please, to come to the platform. Don't be afraid. Yes, sir. And my nice friend, is it? Mickey, come to the platform for me, please. Just come up and stand here. I'd like to ask Chinadu to please come to the platform. Thank you. You're going to just stand and face. Yeah, give him a round of applause. (laughs) Emmanuel, would you come for me, please? And um, this is because Alan is looking a bit feisty. Please come to the platform. (laughs) I see him giggling. Come on. Uh, Sorry, yes. Did I call him Alan? Yeah, come on, no, I call you. And Pastor Scott, come and join me, please. You're going to make a wall. You're going to be up, shoulder to shoulder, and strong. Because they are strong, aren't they? I'm going to push them down. Somebody said, Go on, Pastor Claude. Strengthen yourselves, brace yourselves. Are you ready? Make a strong wall together. Let's see if I can do this. <coughs> I'm going to try one more time. I'm not so strong up here, but I'm sure I can. (laughs) (coughs) I can't. I can't penetrate them. God made them strong. God made them strong, yet their strength is called fragile, like grass. In our eyes, they are strong, mighty men. But in God's eyes, even they can wither like grass. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah. So, verse 6 says, The voice says, Shout. What shall I shout? I asked. Shout that man is like the grass that dies away, and all his beauty fades like dying flowers. The grass withers. The flower fades beneath the earth of God, beneath the breath of God. And so it is with fragile man. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God shall stand forever. It's so important that we recognize that even our own strength is still not strength. And that we need his tender care. As it says in verse 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms and gently lead the ewes with young. He shows his care of even the strongest of men who can wither like grass. In his sight, he shows his care, his tender care for each of us. Throughout this um, passage of scripture, there are questions that are posed. These express who God is, comparing to the weaknesses, the poor efforts of man to prove their own greatness over him, which is impossible. Verse 12 says, who else has held the oceans in his hands and measured off the heavens with a ruler? Who else knows the weight of all the earth and weighs the mountains and the hills? Who can advise the spirit of the Lord or be his teacher or give him counsel? Nobody can. It even expresses in verse 16 that all of Lebanon's forests do not contain sufficient fuel to consume a sacrifice large enough to honor God, nor all the animals it would take to offer to him. Verse 17 says, all the nations are as nothing to him. In his eyes, they are less than nothing. Mere emptiness and froth. He's not insulting nations. He's not belittling his creation. But he's saying, in comparison to me, almighty God, you are nothing. Even the strength of strong men that I could not challenge or push over to God. I'm going to go down to verse 26 in the beginning of my closing. Look up into the heavens, who created all these stars? As a shepherd leads his sheep, calling each by its pet name, and counts them to see that none are lost or strayed, so God does the stars and the planets. Every star and there are billions, aren't there, or trillions, and every planet is important to God, and he named each one of them. Yet this God who is able to do that counts us as important enough to lavish his care on us, for us. Verse 27, O Jacob, O Israel, how can you say that the Lord doesn't see your troubles, and isn't being fair. In all that they had been through, the Lord was still impressing upon them, encouraging them, that in all of it, he cares. Could they not see his care for them, even in trouble? Can you see his care for you, even though life throws things at you? Can you see his hand in your life. How much he cares about how you think, how you feel. How much he cares about how you may be walking astray. And he wants you back in right standing with him. He wants you to see that. Verse 28, he reminds them. He reminds us he's ever. That's it. He doesn't faint. Don't you yet understand? Don't you know by now that the everlasting God, the creator of the farthest parts of the earth, never grows faint or weary? No one can fathom the depths of his understanding. Who doesn't faint? Who is in control? God, who promised to reveal his glory to all mankind. God, who created the heavens and the earth. God, who has held the oceans in his hands and measured off the heavens with his ruler. God doesn't faint. God is in control. The almighty, the all-powerful, the creator. Verses 29 and 30. He gives power to the tired and the worn out and strength to the weak. Do you think that those gentlemen that were on the platform never get tired, never get worn out, never feel weak? They do. Because they're just human. But Jesus Christ, but God the Father, He's the one who gives power when you're tired. When you're worn out he gives you strength when you're weak even the youths, verse 30 says shall be exhausted you know people like me the youth and the young men will all give up even young ones get tired don't you don't you yeah you do you get weary we need the lord we need his strength we need his comfort in our lives. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. uh, Sorry, Uh, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Where does our strength come from? Where does it come from? When we wait on him. Jesus Christ would slip away from his disciples To go and spend time alone with God the Father. He needed to wait on God the Father to be strengthened. In that garden of Gethsemane, just hours before that road to Golgotha would begin, he prayed. He asked God to take it away from him. But if he would not, give him strength. He had to wait on the Lord for strength. He had to wait on the Lord for impartation to do what he was about to do. So he says, if we wait, he will renew our strength. How many of us will? Get before the Lord in the trouble, in the difficult time, or do we get on the phone? Do you know what someone said about me? Do you know what? Or do we go, God? I come to you. I go under a shawl. I close myself off, and I say, "That hurt me, Lord. What do I do with it? Help me, Lord. I bring it to you. I wait for your strength." I wait for your healing. I wait for you. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That word, to me, wait, means that I rely on and I trust in God and I'm patient for his answer. It's not always the way I think it should be and will be. God doesn't think like we think, and his ways are not our ways. So we have to go to him and rely on him and trust in him. How do you get through a sad event in your life? And I can see many faces here. I know stories. And Pastor Scott was talking about the bereavement course and on Wednesday he he announced it so powerfully that I'm going to sign up because I have about eight deaths in the last year that need to be dealt with. I realized I can't just sit on them and expect that everything will be all right. I need to go to God and deal with them and make room in my life for his comfort, for his strength, for his healing, I encourage anyone who needs anything, look at what we're doing in this church and get involved, but know that it begins when we wait on the Lord for strength. This chapter speaks so many volumes to me. Why is it so significant? The beginning is a message. Comfort my people. Tell them I'm going to rescue them. At the end is the way that he will rescue them. Wait on the Lord. I'll renew your strength. But in the, be- in the middle, it declares who is the one that we wait on. This declaration of who he is, what he does, how impenetrable he is, how nothing is like him, nor can compare how his majesty and awesomeness is. And then I think, this incredible, majestic creator turns around and looks at Claudette and says, I care for you, and says, I comfort you, I heal you, I strengthen you. I lift up your head why would I not want to love him give my everything to him why would I not want to give my entire life to him and be in total obedience to his word why would I not want to seek out what he says in his word And then try to live it. I want to encourage us today. The God who brings relief and promises in the prophetic word. Says, be comforted, my people. Be comforted. Deep in our spirits, our souls. Be comforted. And this comes from Isaiah, which means the Lord who saves. So as I close, I ask, if you are not saved, if salvation is not the thing that you can claim to have in your life, how then will you be comforted and strengthened? How then will you be lifted up? How will you be healed? How will you know what is the right way to walk? How will you choose God above everything else so that you can live? if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour today, under the sound of my voice in here, at home online, if you do not know Jesus Christ, please bow your heads with me and repeat after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I come to you now. I acknowledge that I have sinned and that I have fallen short of your glory. I repent of my sinful life, I repent of my sins, I acknowledge that you are the Son of God, that you came to the cross and died for me, that you rose again, having paid the price for me to be redeemed. I now call you Lord of my life come into my heart. Give me the gift of eternal life and help me to walk with you aright, day by day, in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.